<coughs> okay, you got your radio voice on? <coughs> I sure do. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds Makes really me taller. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of a toxic masculine sound if if you if you anyway. Chicks dig it. <laughs> <laughs> This is Inner Man Radio, equipping the inner man for victory through Christ, one honest conversation at a time. So drop those excuses, pick up your Bibles, and recruit a friend. Hey, this week we're going to be talking about a passage, Mark, that should not be in the Bible. Like a like a rogue passage? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. it's, uh, it shouldn't be there. And there's uh, Most versions have removed this passage because, well... It's too hot to handle. Would Personally, you, would you call it revolutionary? I would call it revolutionary. Really? revolutionary. Yes, in fact, controversial, even definitive. Yeah. You're reading from the script, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> but with the right set of lenses, uh-huh. blue on one side, red on the other, uh-huh. uh, and if you under under the certain right lighting, uh-huh. with a certain piece of of artifact that you stick into a wall and you turn the handle and uh-huh. the wall turns. You can find you, you find how to interpret this. Yeah. Okay, that's crazy talk. Yeah, it is. it is. Why are we going down that? What we're really talking about is uh, nothing like that. That's just no. that's silly. We're actually talking about a thousand-year-old global conspiracy to steal the secret truth, hold people down, and transfer all power to a cabal. <laughs> uh huh. Anyway, so what are we really talking about this week? Uh, you mean the, the Catholic Church? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, right, right. So if you're following along in your uh, King James Bible today, you'll, you'll notice that there's a passage in 1 John chapter 5, 7 through 8 that reads a little differently than, uh, say, in the New American Standard. It sure does. The NAS puts it this way in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because the King James reads, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Yeah, I, I noticed the difference right away there. Yeah. You, you said beareth in, in verse 7. The King James says, says beareth right, there. Right, right. Whereas the New American Standard uses the more modern term bears Yes, but the more modern term, bears. <laughs> yes. Yeah, bears witness, right. Yeah, like but come, a whole section of the verse is gone. Yeah. So so what's up with that? I mean, really, these two passages sound different than one another, but let's, let's just go through, the, go through the, the difference here. One of the most notable and hotly debated passages in the scriptures among Bible scholars is this passage. Uh, it's sometimes called the Jonin comma, the Jonin comma. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that, Mark. No, but so double check on pronunciation before you impress your friends. Yes. Some manuscripts do not contain the three that bear witness in heaven. Others do. In fact, uh, 1 John 5 itself has been the subject of controversy throughout the years. Out of 
5,000 Greek manuscripts, only 500 include chapter 5. The whole chapter. Yeah, the whole yeah. chapter 5, right? So 1 John 5 itself is, is a bit controversial. And Mark, how about the uh, out, of, uh, out of those 500 that do include 1 John chapter 5, how many include this particular comma? Yeah, so out of those 500, there's only 9, and uh, some... There's even some controversy about that, but nine generally are accepted as having that comma in there, the section that that reads, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That section only appears in nine of those Greek manuscripts. And in those nine, um, there are only five of them that place that material in the text itself, and four of those nine leave a blank space in the text and write the comma, as it's called, in the margin of the text and don't put it in the, in the general body. Kind of hedging their bet a little bit. I mean, it, well, it, yeah, it there was Well, yeah, there was a lot of controversy um, as to whether or not these verses should be included. So uh, let's say you're, a, you're transcribing or, or, or translating and you run across a manuscript that either has or doesn't. What are you going to do? There's a lot of those of the Greek codices, d- did not include it. Some did. And so as a, as a translator, as a transcriber, I think hedging your bets is a, is a good way to describe what they had to do. It's, well, it appears, but we're not really sure where it belongs, and so we'll stick it over here. Or, in many cases, they just didn't include it at all. So the other five, they actually do place that, that passage, the comma, in the text itself, in line with the rest. So that's one-tenth of one percent of all the Greek manuscripts ascribe this comma with the same status of being inspired as the surrounding passage. Yeah, you know, it's such an odd, it's such an oddball thing. I mean, really, nine or or five of those is is all that you have to work with. And some people would say, well, it doesn't matter very much anyway, yeah. and it's it's not that important, and why even bother with it? It's uh, it's not that. It's not that much. But there's but, a lot of history, though, that goes behind those missing verses. Yeah. Jerome himself, uh, who translated the scriptures from the Greek to the Latin, we now call it the Latin Vulgate, uh, approximately 390 or so. He felt pretty strongly about this. Mark, what? He certainly did, yeah. Jerome, Jerome spoke out against what he called negligent transcribing of the Greek codices because... In his day, he assumed, he believed that they should have been there, that those verses belonged in there or that portion of the verse belonged in there. And he spoke out against their omission. What's strange about that is that later, um, even some of the Latin Vulgate transcripts uh, do not include it. So if Jerome spoke against its omission, I think it's safe to assume that Jerome included those in his Latin Vulgate translations. The fact that they have gone missing from later transcriptions of his Latin Vulgate proves to my mind that they've been removed. Right, and about the same time as Jerome, uh, in uh, 375, Gregory Nazenzius. Ah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, let's do that. He he also objects to the commas omission. So he was a, a contemporary of Jerome, uh, and uh, he was uh, considered a Greek church father, so this would have been the Eastern Orthodox Church, of course, after the Roman Catholic Church was divided in two. Yeah, but he said it should have been there. Uh, even, even as late as the Council of Carthage in 485, there's a guy named Eugenius 
who speaks for the African bishops at that council, and he quotes the comma in, uh, in the course of their debate as to, they're talking about whether or not specifically the Holy Spirit should be included as a part of the Trinity, and, right. and to what degree. Right. So there's a lot of the, I mean, the fact that it's been there is without dispute. Um, it's as early as 390, even, even a little earlier than that. So Cyprian in 250 AD, quotes the, what it's called the comma. He said, The Lord says, I and the Father are one, and likewise it is written of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Even Cyprian seems to allude to the comma's presence in 250 AD. But certainly by Jerome's time, Jerome said it was there, it should have been there, and it had been omitted. Right. Okay, we have to be uh, be wary of Greeks bearing gifts here, right? But <laughs> No kidding. But, uh, Mark, you've done a little bit of looking at the Greek, and, and you're not a Greek scholar. By no means. Yeah, okay, and uh, obviously I'm not either. But, but the syntax from what you're reading and from what others have said, if the comma is omitted from the passage, the gender of the words don't agree. Right, right. So the syntax is messed up, and the gender of the words is, is garbled. Uh, of course, in English, our words don't have gender, so that doesn't, so the problem doesn't come across into English. But in Greek, the words are supposed to agree in gender, and when you remove this section of 1 John 5, those verses, and just squeeze the others together, those verses do not agree in gender. Right, so why are we even talking about this? Why all the controversy, I say potato, you say the potato doesn't exist. Right. All right, so why does it even all matter? Well, you know, John in his, in his letter has been building and building and building really up to this point. And in my mind, chapter 5 is the summary of all of what John has been attempting to convince the reader of through the previous four chapters. You know, he started by telling us it's important to be honest with ourselves, whether we're walking in the light or whether we walk in darkness. The proof of that in chapter 1 and especially 2 is loving your neighbor. It's loving God. Is he had to address the uh, uh, the working against the teaching of the Antichrist, which which strips Jesus of having in a flesh, physical body. Right, right. In chapter three, you see elements of this, and in chapter four, he uh, he hits it harder that we are children of God, and as such, as children of God, uh, we cannot sin. So what he said in chapter two, I'm writing this to you that you may not sin. In chapter three, you cannot sin. Chapter four, he hits it again. And this is how we know that we are children of God. The three that testify. That's where chapter 5 ends up, right? Is, okay, we have, John has been trying to convince us for four chapters that we are sons of God. And chapter 5 is really, is the culmination. All right, this is a good spot for a quick break, Mark. uh, We've got something to introduce here. Yeah, we are very excited today to introduce a new sponsor to the Interman Radio family of companies. Yeah, we've got some overhead to pay for our lavish recording studios and production facilities. These chairs don't come cheap. No, no. (laughs) Marshall was a wreck. Itching, scratching, chewing. His scratching was becoming a distraction. Couldn't seem to get that itch out of his ear. His hair was falling out, shedding, balding. Breath was bad. D-I-V-I-N-E-L-I-T-E dot com. Our pastor had no energy. His sermons were flat and lethargic, gassy. Just two servings a day with breakfast, and the change has been remarkable. All the natural enzymes and vitamins that were normally cooked out of your pastor's breakfast cereal, they're all in there. His hair started coming back thick and 
shining. His energy level is through the roof, just like it was fresh out of Bible college. My friends can't believe the difference. They don't even mind shaking his hand now. D-I-V-I-N-E light.com. Omega-3s, branch chain fatty amino acids, natural proteins. He stops scratching. There's a spring in his step and even bounces to the podium now. Sermons are shorter. Even his jokes are better. D-I-V-I-N-E light.com. D-I-V-I-N-E-L light. All right, so back to the uh, back to how we know we're sons of God. How do we know? That's the question. So if if we're born of God, then we're sons of God, right? If that's true, then we overcome the world. Yeah, because First John five four says, "Whatever is born of God overcomes the world." So. If we're going to say we are sons of God and born of him, then the result has to be we overcome the world. So that really everything hangs on this question, doesn't it? Are, are we, we a son of God? Are we sons of God? And how do we know? <laughs> right. How do we know? And that's what John is trying to bring to bear witness on that point is how do we know? How can we be sure? And he uses Jesus as an example. He says, you know, there are three that bear witness. Uh, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. W- when it comes to Jesus, let's use him as our, as our test case. So Jesus came by, or from verse 6, or was born of water and blood and the Holy Spirit. Now, we see on earth, we see, we see three separate events that all testify to Jesus' sonship of God as seen from earthly perspective. When Jesus shows up at the water of the Jordan River to be baptized by John, a heavenly pronouncement is made, this is my beloved son. Right? John's there, the Spirit comes down, the voice from heaven utters that, that announcement, and all those who were there you know, heard the voice, as it were, and that was proof, certainly in John's mind, that this is the guy. Jesus is the Son of God. We see it, it shows up again in uh, another another witness to Jesus' sonship at his crucifixion. When the centurion sees the way in which Jesus dies, he utters his own admission. He says, surely, surely, yeah, this, surely was this was the Son of God. Right. And then at the Mount of Transfiguration, right, the disciples, they see Jesus transformed to, into his glorious appearance, and they hear the voice from heaven after Moses and Elijah have gone, mm-hmm. this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right. And so there are, there are these three markers on earth, water, blood, and spirit, that all were sufficient to convince the people who were there at the time. They all testified to that fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And those witnesses in and of themselves are powerful. Uh, so we're not taking any way, anything away from those. Not at all. Then there are three that bear witness in heaven, he said. And the same is true of Jesus. There are three that bear witness in heaven. From heaven's perspective, when Jesus comes by water and blood, this is not a reference to Jesus on earth. This is a reference to Jesus in his being born of spirit, being born uh, being born to new life from, from being dead in sins and trespasses. Those are sins and trespasses. So when he's born from the dead, there are three that bear witness to that. In Romans chapter 6, it says that Jesus is raised through the glory of the Father. It says that in uh, Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit 
who gives life, to, who gave life to Jesus, will also give life to your mortal bodies. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have authority to lay my life down and I have authority to pick it up again. Right. Jesus being the word. Exactly. Right. So the Father, the Son, and the word are all involved in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the same thing applies to us. See, from, the, from a physical perspective, we have something that bears witness of our sonship. And they all come together for us in the physical act of immersion, at least seen from the, from the physical. When we're immersed, the spirit, the water, and the blood all come together to testify to the fact that we have become sons of God. And the same is true in heaven, because the same spirit that says Jesus is a son of God is the spirit that dwells within us and gives us the right to say that we are sons of God in Romans chapter 8. By his spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father, right? When uh, the Father raises us, just as he raised Jesus in Romans chapter 6, and it's Christ through whom we are raised. So it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who bear witness that we are sons of God in heaven as well. Right. So even without the Jonian comma, we have enough evidence throughout the, the New Testament of those witnesses in heaven as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, so really putting this, I guess, maybe in a different way, it really doesn't matter what anybody says about you as a son of God, if you about your sonship, uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter uh, if we say we aren't sons of God. If we have a a, a weak moment, right, and we doubt, sure, right, right, right. So it doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter what our neighbors say. God's witness or the witness of heaven is greater than the witness of man, right? It is. Well, who are you going to believe? Right. So. Yeah, so, and that's really the gist of what he's getting at here, is the witness is, we have a witness to verify the fact that we are sons of God. And it's greater than any other witness you can have. You know, guys, gals, don't take me out of context here, which would be easy to do, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter what your spouse says about whether or not you are a son. In one sense, that doesn't, that doesn't define whether or not you are. Right. Okay. Now, on the other hand, if you're living like you're not a son of God and your spouse says so, might want to take a look at that. <laughs> you should consider that. Right? Right. But the witness of God is greater than the witness of those uh, of man. That's right. Yeah. It doesn't matter what people around us say. And John brings that out in 1 John uh, chapter 5 and verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this that he has borne witness concerning his son. So much for us depends upon whether or not we believe that we are sons of God. And so John has gone to great lengths to try and confirm in our minds that that new birth has taken place and that we are precisely what John says that we are. Yeah, we could prove this from other scriptures and hopefully we've tried to give you enough to show you that, that, uh, that those concepts are not individual or not only here in 1 John chapter 5, but they're borne out through the rest of the scriptures. But it's John that really brings him to bear on that question. And then it really pushes us to believe what that means for us, that we are sons of God. So, Mark, what, what does all this have to do with a global conspiracy uh, you know, there might be an astute listener asking that question, right? So bring me back here. What's this? 
what does it all have to connect with each other here? Well, global conspiracy, mm -hmm. what John's really trying to work on us is that the witness of heaven, that is God's witness, is greater than the witness of men. He brings that out in verse 9. He says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his son. That's a tremendously powerful point that John makes because let's, let's just follow it through here. If Jesus is born of God, then Jesus is God's son. If Jesus is God's son, he overcomes the world, right? Mm -hmm. right? Right. Now, the same should be true for us. If we are born of God, then we are sons of God. And the result, John said in verse 4, is that we overcome the world. Right. And when John brings the same evidence to bear to prove both of those conclusions true... If you try to destroy one of them, you'll destroy them both. So when you just try, to, just try to destroy one of them, you'll destroy them both. In other words, if, if I say that I can't overcome, right. then I'm really saying that Jesus couldn't overcome either. Yeah, let's just work it backwards. Okay. So, so let's say, all right, if, if I take the position that I cannot overcome the world, well, John said, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So I have to say, if I can't overcome then I'm forced to the position that I'm not born of God. If I'm not born of God, then I'm not a son of God. And the witness of heaven is false concerning me. If that's, if that's the position I take, then you also have to say that the witness of heaven is false concerning Jesus, that he was not able to overcome the world either, that he's not a son of God, that he's not born of God, because the same things that prove his sonship have been used to prove our sonship. It, there's, it's just so powerful the way that John brings those two together in this section right here. And if somebody tries to play with that, he said, the one who believes in the Son of God, this is verse 10 now, has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he did not believe in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. If someone doesn't believe this about himself... He doesn't believe it about the witness of God's Son, Jesus Christ. You can't have it both ways. If Jesus is an overcomer, you must overcome. And if you can't overcome, then Jesus didn't either. This is such a powerful principle. John is calling heaven and earth, really, to testify to the fact that we're sons of God. Right. And as a result, we can, through the Spirit, overcome the world. Have to. Regardless of what anyone else anyway. says. So, so a sin that you're struggling with, let's, let's, let's bring this down to real life. Here. You have to overcome. Okay? Right. And I say real life, I don't mean this. what we're talking about wasn't real. Right. But I mean our daily life. There we go. Let's bring it down to daily life here. A sin we're struggling with, go for it. It's overcomable. Right. It Why? has to be. Because we're overcomers. Why? Because we're sons of God. Yep. And Jesus proves it. He proves that we're sons of God and that we can overcome because he overcomes. We're sons of God. We have to overcome. And his spirit testifies to that fact. So we could say, well, I don't know if I really believe that. I mean, no one else believes that about me. I'm not sure I believe that about myself. That's where the witness of heaven's greater than exactly. the witness of man. Yeah. yeah. Who, who are we going to believe? Me? No. No. I believe in you. <laughs> no. You kidding? See, or, or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. Who are we going to believe? You know, radio pastor guy? Wait a minute. Uh, TV pastor guy? TV pastor. <laughs> yeah. We're not radio. We're a podcast. Right, right. right podcaster right. guy. <clears throat> Who are we going to believe? No, we're going to believe the scriptures. And that witness is solid and sure. 
That's what builds our faith to the point where we're willing to say, I'm an overcomer, I'm going to overcome the world, and I am starting today. And, and we'll, we'll see, see you, you next time, time on, on Inter- Interman Radio. Radio. Ha 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 